Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. I'm back, Nadia. Yes, you are back, and uh, everything is intact. Uh, we swept up all the broken glass, and there was a stain on the rug. We just kind of put another rug over it. Everything's cool. I'm really surprised that you guys didn't burn down the house. <laughs> Usually when Anthony and I get together, it, it, it's shenanigans, because... Um, as probably most of the listeners here know, I used to work for Anthony long ago and far away, and we always had a, a really good time together. I didn't get a chance to actually listen to the podcast, which I guess is my bad. I was in Spain, uh, traveling abroad, not listening to many podcasts, actually, but it sounds like you had some interesting conversations about uh, Sekiro and how reviews work and that kind of thing. Yes. We also had uh, John Lerdet on the podcast. And of course, he's always an entertaining person to talk to because he knows his stuff when it comes to stuff like Sekiro and Dark Souls. And um, he had a lot of insight. We talked a lot about like, you know, reviewing longer games, reviewing harder games, because I don't think a lot of people realize how just what a process it can be to review like a like a, a really hard game or a really long RPG. So I think we shed some light on that great controversy. Yeah, John Lernan is our go-to person for all the Soulsborne games because he knows that series intimately, and he can actually finish them on deadline, which is no easy feat. Yeah, he had a hard time with it this time around, but he did it. He's uh, he's quite good at what he does. I heard that's a little shorter than uh, some of the other Soulsborne games, though. It's just hard. It's hard. He said it's very hard. He said like it was a game, ultimately, that, yes, he loved it in the end, but he also hated it. <laughs> I'm still I, I still go back to it from time to time, uh, but I haven't really had a lot of time to play it because surprise, surprise, too many games to play. Uh, you're telling me, yeah. And plus, you've been, as you said, you've been abroad. Did you take your Switch with you at least? I did take my Switch with me. Yes. Did you play it? I did play it. Yes. And maybe I'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, in addition to doing a mailbag, Nadia. Yay! I am looking forward to the mailbag. We have not done a mailbag in a very long time. It's been ages, right? Mm -hmm. But it feels like a nice palate cleanser after finally wrapping up the top 25 RPG countdown, which, by the way, you wrote the final entry as of this recording today by Monday. Maybe even the hub will be up by the time this podcast goes live on Monday. Oh, that would be nice. Uh, But yes, I wrote the uh, number one entry. We, as we have discussed, it was Chrono Trigger. And I kind of took it from the perspective of uh, just how its elements all work really well together. It tries a whole bunch of new ideas that actually work out really well, uh, even though you would expect there to be some friction. It's just, it just is really smooth. But most of all, I kind of emphasized how well it tells its story through its music. And, you know, if I ever, ever, whenever I have a chance to write about game music, I will, because it's just, you know, so important to me. And as we discussed in our 200th episode, uh, I feel like Chrono Trigger's soundtrack just barely edges out Final Fantasy VI's soundtrack, and a major part of that is because you have all these different time zones you go to, and each one has a theme that really, really suits it. So I hope you go back and read that uh, and listen to it, because of course I included some music clips, so uh, please enjoy. So we got a lot to cover. We're taking a bit of a shotgun approach to this episode. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Joker DLC in Super Smash Brothers and what that mm-hmm. might mean for the future. We're going to talk very quickly about a Knights of the Old Republic project potentially being developed by Lucasfilm. And of course, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy X and X-2 being out, including I'm going to put out a controversial hot take for this podcast. So please look forward to the spiciest of takes. Acts of the Blood God can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold, Spotify. Please leave us a review if you're enjoying the podcast. Not only does it make us happy, it helps the visibility of the podcast. 
We also have a newsletter that you should sign up. It comes out every Wednesday. You can find that link over on the website every Wednesday. Nadia or myself write a nice little essay and round up the RPG news, and that goes straight to your mailbox. You won't find that anywhere on the site, and you can follow all of us on all of the social medias. My DMs are open, so if you have any comments about the show, send me a nice note or send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Okay, getting back to what we were talking about earlier. Yes, Nadia, I did play my Nintendo Switch on the flight, and I was playing a couple of RPGs. Oh, good. Yes, the first one, surprisingly enough, Final Fantasy VII for the Nintendo Switch. Oh, now we're talking retro. Yes, we are, but unfortunately, I may have already hit a stopping point. Wow, that was fast. How? Where did you stop? The starting point that I always end up stopping at, which is the Don Corneo cross-dressing scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, that whole thing aged really well, didn't it? Jesus Christ. Ugh. Sure didn't. Oh, uh, yeah, that is such a... I really, really, I, whenever I play that, I just kind of like hit A really fast. Like da, 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 da. One thing I do like about the scene, though, is um, I love how the Don's mansion is just so like, like flamboyant, it's all decorated with like gold and red and dragons. Like, you know, I'd love how there's um, a lot of visual storytelling going on in Final Fantasy VII. And to me, that's one of the best examples. Like, here's a guy who thinks really freaking highly of himself. Plus, he has a disco ball hanging over his bed. I know that you guys talked about Final Fantasy VII in last week's episode, but I just want to toss my two cents in really quickly. Mm-hmm. So when I started playing it on the Nintendo Switch with my headphones on, I was totally taken back to the first time that I started playing this game mm-hmm. and how how distinctive the world of Midgar is, uh, that wonderful opening where I love that opening. The camera sweeping around the city, introducing the, one of the major settings, uh, cat jumping over to the train and then the main hero jumps off the train right in time to the music yes jumps you right into the battle system it's one of the best opening sequences of any rpg i've ever played yeah it's definitely up there i think uh it does tie i think with final fantasy 6's opening scene which is interesting because final fantasy 6's opening scene is very different it's much slower but yes i do love that whole pan out they do and how seamlessly they kind of go from the cutscene into the into the gameplay it's uh, it's just really well done, and it kind of plays out like an anime. Interestingly enough, it does. Yes, because you have the first episode, which is blowing up the power plant. That could be yes. the first episode. Second episode is like the home, like introducing Avalanche's home life, mm-hmm. uh, introducing Tifa, going back to the second power plant. Uh, Cloud falls into the gap. What's going on? Where'd Cloud go? Is he dead? <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. Episode three is a much quieter episode. We meet Eris, the the Turks and everything, which is also a nice little sequence. You got the mom telling you to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even kind of liked Eris a little bit, uh, a little bit more than I ever used to. Yeah, I actually, um, I was trying to date Tifa this time around because I have never dated Tifa, believe it or not. And I ended up with Eris and I'm kind of mad about that because I was trying really damn hard. I'm like, okay, you know what? It's about time. See, when you, when you hook up with Tifa, you, you get to, like, sleep with her under the high wind. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It's time for, time for Cloud to get his rocks off under the high wind. And it didn't happen. It's not going to happen. And I'm like, Eris, why? Like, I've dated I'm you so, a million times. I'm so extremely mean to Eris all the time, though. <laughs> me too. And she's still dating me. Nope. 
She's all like, I love you, Cloud. I'm like, well, okay, first of all, I just met you. I just met you two seconds ago. Second of all, I'm being really mean to you. I'm just really dismissive. Go away. Your flowers She's all like, oh, do you have a girlfriend? I'm like, I just met you. Did I mention that? (laughs) Jeez, Eris. Golly. Golly gracious. uh, Episode three, you know, you're having your little journey with Eris and like, uh, some talking, and then the episode ends with, wait a minute, is that Tifa on the back of a carriage? Where's she going? And then we get into the sequence where I always stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my advice to you is to, there's a fast-forward function, just use it. I, I know there's a fast-forward function, and maybe I will use it, but I do kind of want to get through the sequence, because I, I was really enjoying Final Fantasy VII up until that specific moment. And right. then the music gets kind of crappy, I hate that particular little town. I despise Wal- the yeah. I despise the quest where you have to gather all of the clothes to infiltrate uh, his mansion and everything. It's just it's just it takes too long. And then it ends with I I am a firm believer that sewer levels are always bad. Yes, name me one good sewer level ever. Sewers None. you don't want to be in a sewer in a video game. They're gross. No. They're dark. The enemies are always really annoying. And yeah. you're just like, get me out of here. And of course, it ends with the sewer level. Yeah, not only does it end with the sewer level, thankfully, which which is short, it's fine, but the, short. the boss is terrible. The boss like, is really annoying because he has that area of effect attack. Yes, he does. There's like a tidal wave he can do, like, you know, hits your, your party from both the front and the back, so you really can't defend against it properly. Anyway, I haven't gotten to the point of the overworld where there's a music glitch. I bet that would be really annoying. Which is unfortunate, but like it looks really good on the Switch's screen. It does look very good. Um, I have no problems with the graphics. Uh, I still think that Midgar is a really, even though it looks kind of a little bit blurry, a little bit pixely because, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it's upright, you can't help that. But I still think Midgar has so much personality. And I'm not usually a big fan of like, uh, you know, you know, steampunk, cyberpunk, like sort of cities that are dirty and grimy. But I love the way Midgar's, like every single. Every single building in the slum tells a story about who lives there, and I, I love that so much. I totally agree. This is when Square Enix was still capable of doing really evocative settings. Yes. They did this with Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII. And I, as much as I love Final Fantasy VI, and I think that game has an amazingly evocative setting as well, mm-hmm. I think Final Fantasy VII and VIII both surpass it. Yeah. And then, interestingly enough, Final Fantasy IX had a good setting, but it was a little bit too much of a throwback to classic Final Fantasy. It didn't have as much of its own personality as yeah, I Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, with some exceptions, like the Black Mage Village, for example, there was, like, it was a little bit more like Final Fantasy IV and VI in that everything kind of blended together. Uh, and I understand why they had to do that for IV and VI, because they're cartridge games you have to you have to reuse those assets but uh seven and i admit eight as well put um a lot of effort into those environments yeah it always feels like we're dissing final fantasy 9 i really love no, I, I, en- I enjoyed final fantasy 9 a lot you're ta- speaking of someone who played it for the first time just a couple of years ago i really had a good mm-hmm. time with it no arguments here final fantasy 10 had that nice island setting going on tropical yes very tropical speaking of final fantasy 10 it is out now on the Nintendo Switch, and yes. I dropped the hottest of takes on Twitter recently, and it got like 200 likes or something. <laughs> and I thought about even turning it into an article, but it would have taken a lot of time and research to actually be able to carry that off, and I don't I honestly have that much time. But yeah. basically, my I posited that Final Fantasy X 2, wait for it, is better than Final Fantasy X. Uh, I cannot contribute to that conversation, but I have heard... Uh 
I have heard a uh, discussion to that effect. I actually had a friend who, uh, when I was a groomer, she was a cosplayer, like a really, really good cosplayer, and she loved ten too, so much more than ten. So here are my here's my reasoning. First of all, I prefer the kind of more non-linear structure of Final mm-hmm. Fantasy X to, to the original Final Fantasy X. Um, I don't actually think the story of Final Fantasy X is that great. I think that there is, an int- there is an interesting tale to be found of the pilgrimage and uh, Titus and Yuna's like, relationship being built up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, his daddy issues with Jack... <laughs> I yes. like that. The, I like that the way that they intercut between their journey and then his dad's journey. Uh, it has some good reveals, but I think the Xanarkin stuff is a bridge too far. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil it for you, Nadia. I don't know if, how familiar you are with the plot of Final Fantasy X. Uh, I am so so. I do know that there's. I, I do know there are certain uh, events that happen that I'm familiar with that lead up to one of the worst boss themes of all time. Oh. Yes, it does have the worst boss theme of all time. Uh, I love you, Uematsu, but uh, sometimes, you know... Was that Uematsu? I, no, that wasn't Uematsu. That was when Uematsu started to uh, split the oh, work. yes, he was... That's right. He was kind of... Well, whoever did that was just like, um, I appreciate your experimentation, and I, I totally encourage experimentation, but sometimes it doesn't work. My apologies for not looking this up. I, it's a fairly well-known uh, composer who's still working today. Mm-hmm. But uh, I agree that, I, I mean, that really throaty kind of wannabe heavy metal. It was very much a sign of the times, I think. I remember it that was, being a thing. It was very 2002. It was, yes. Kind of like Alexis on Fire and stuff like that. Yeah, it was Square Enix and by extension Final Fantasy X wanting to be like, we are so badass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm look sorry. At us. Nothing about Titus is badass. I, I I like the kid. I have nothing against him, and I I do appreciate oh, that. Daddy, <laughs> Jack, to his credit, Jack is the only character who has body hair in that whole universe. So I like Jack. He looks like uh, Jack Sparrow. He does exactly. Yeah, he looks so much like Jack Sparrow. You're right. Which is funny because this was a year, be- a couple of years before Jack yeah. uh, Pirates of the Caribbean came out. Oh my god! So I'm just saying, Johnny Depp totally lifted the look of Jack. Yeah. Yep, it, it is canon. It is law. <laughs> the best thing about Final Fantasy X is Blitzball. And most people would say that Blitzball is better than Final Fantasy X 2. <laughs> to this day, want to play Blitzball, want to play Blitzball is a meme in my relationship. <laughs> is it really? Yes, because we play, I played it again in college because uh-huh. I played it for the first time in like 2002. And then, two th- and then three years later, I bought a PS2. Uh-huh. And I started playing Final Fantasy X again. Mm-hmm. And I got really into Blitzball, and so my partner would be sitting there on the couch, and I'd be playing FF10, and I'd be like, "Want to play Blitzball? Want to play Blitzball? Want to play Blitzball?" Because that was before it was want to play Triple Triad. Want to play? Yeah, triple triad? yeah. <laughs> play say cards with I... me. Play them. Play them. Because I was trying to build my ultimate team, and I ultimate and I ultimately did, but I just used uh, Titus's extremely broken Jack shot. Anyway, I think the Xanarkin stuff is a bridge too far. I think the final ba- boss battles are a letdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and as usual, final the question of Final Fantasy X 2 versus Final Fantasy X comes down to a question of mechanics. And while I think Final Fantasy X systems are strong, I don't think they hold a candle to the Dressphere system, which is excellent. Yeah, and it, is one of the one of the better iterations of the job system around. What were going to say, Nadia? I was going to say, isn't like I've heard that like Final Fantasy X 2 is basically kind of like a girl band on the road sort of yeah. journey. Which is yeah, a no, lot there's of a real girl power vibe there. Yeah. People derisively at the time called it Charlie's Angels. Yes. Uh, I, I think they're just having they're having a good time. Yuna 
and Riku and uh, Pain. Is that her name? I think her name is Pain. <laughs> she doesn't really have a personality. She's just around for some reason. She just hurts all the time. Yeah, she's always in pain. Uh, and they're flying around on their they're flying around on their ship having adventures. It's cool. That's cool. That's like Final Fantasy fifteen, but with girls. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, it's certainly one of the better sequels. I, I think Final Fantasy ten two and Lightning Returns are the two best sequels. It's just so weird that we live in a universe where it's like Final Fantasy ten two was a term that exists and like thir- thirteen two or whatever they were gonna call it was going to exist as well. I remember when ten two came out. And then, of course, there was, like, the international version that had the special ending and everything. Oh, of course, yeah. And then, of course, yeah, the special ending of Ten Two, which I got, was, like, pretty dumb. And you're just like, really? Okay. <laughs> that That's how it ends? Really? What is going on here? <laughs> what is going on here? Describe this a when, lot of This is where games. Final Fantasy was definitely, like, the wheels were starting to come off a little bit when yeah. it came to the storytelling, I think. Yeah, I think that's about when it started to go off the road a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So, I... In terms of, so I tried to replay Final Fantasy X when it came out in HD, mm-hmm. and there might be a fast forward function. I hope there's a fast forward function. Because, Probably is. Dear Lord, you can't skip the bot the battles, and the battles are so slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they lo- they load in quickly, but it takes forever seemingly for everybody to go through their individual attacks. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about Final Fantasy VII on the Switch. Uh, even if you don't fast-forward it, it really has been sped up a lot. Like, it, battles are so much more brisk. Well, it was one of the most beautiful games on the PS2 when it came out, which was, like, 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looked really good. And then, of course, Twelve had that amazing Ivalice uh, world. And I, to, for my money, Ivalice is one of the best worlds in an RPG ever. Yeah, Which, I by agree. the way, Nadia, I need to add that to our, our, our little bucket list of things that are topics that we're developing right now mm-hmm. the best rpg worlds or settings i like that idea yes because uh and I, I would definitely vote for ivalice because i've said this before but as you just mentioned how storytelling kind of the wheels tend to come off on in, in final fantasy games final fantasy 12 as with most stories said in ivalice it really feels like it has its shit together it knows what it is it knows who lives there it knows its politics uh you could basically write an encyclopedia about it with no problem Yep. So the other game that I've been playing on my Nintendo Switch was Super Robot Wars T, which Surprise. is a game that I've mentioned a few times. It's been out for a month. Mm-hmm. How a, is it? I've managed to convince a disturbing number of people to actually play this game. Yeah, I noticed. You you have a following. Congratulations. My my old co-worker, Nestor Forhan, um, really good, really smart person. He, he knows more about games than, I, than almost anybody I've ever met. Cool. He has a real developer's eye. Uh, for how games work. Mm-hmm. And he apparently played Super Robot Wars OG way back in the day on GBA, oh, which wow. was for a long time the only one to ever come out in the US. Mm-hmm. And he just on a whim, I guess, because of I was tweeting about it, decided to pick up Super Robot Wars T. And I was complaining about a little bit about SRWT on Twitter, and I'll get to that in a second. And he uh, He tweeted back at me, uh, playing it with no attachment for the franchises. I find the volume of content mostly works just fine. It's also hilariously constant because I'm going to guess some of this material is bonkers even before they <laughs> remix it. <laughs> so if there's obvious fan service missing, I definitely didn't notice with all the horny salary women developing crushes on space pirates and each other while piloting mechas and killing space Nazi MRAs. My level of atta- not attachment here is that my main takeaways so far are 
The Gundam kids are dorks, and the intense space pirate libertarians need to bring it down a notch. And then he adds, oh, it's amazing. A competent, puzzly, tactical JRPG and a weird-ass fever dream of a visual novel. I can't remember the last time I got into, into a game and felt surprised by it functioning on its own completely independent set of logic. Which yeah. I, I think that tweet, like, I just want to frame that tweet. Yeah. Or maybe put it, put it on the back of the box. <laughs> a competent, a very puzzly, good... tactical JRPG and weird-ass fever dream of a visual novel. Totally true. That is, a, that is definitely a good back-of-the-box quote. So the good things about Super Robot Wars T, um, I like the cast for the most part. I like that uh, Harlock and Spike are, they, they almost immediately have Harlock and Spike introduce, uh, interacting with one another. Spike, of course, from Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the juxtaposition of, on the one side, you have all of your extremely cynical space pirate types uh-huh. and crooks. And on the other, you have big damn heroes from super robot shows uh like magic knight ray earth and gal Gygar and uh, mazinger who are all basically trying to be 20 feet tall and saying we are the biggest heroes of all time yeah. heroes 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 <laughs> us, and us, it's us. pretty funny to watch all of those different people bounce off one another i want it say. would be it would be a lot of fun uh i've I think I made the comparison before, but like it sounds like Project uh, Cross Zone, which is uh, again a very fun game to just watch the heroes and villains bounce off each other. At times, it is really gorgeous when they nail the uh, the animation with some of the units. I would say um, there is one enemy from Zeta Gun- Double Gundam D- Double Zeta that is really well animated. And I think that is actually reused from the previous game, Super Robot Wars X. And I think mm-hmm. there's actually a fair amount of material used from X and V. But that's not entirely surprising. Uh, I think, as per usual, it's take Super Robot Wars is a bit of a slow burn. Yeah. So I'm on, like, level 16, I want to say. And it takes about that long to really get going. Yeah, I should really get off my ass and play one of these games. Nah, nah. nah it's not really. Not it's not really for the, <laughs> the non mechanism. And there's such a time sink, and I, and the, I don't know. I am really invested in them because I just like this crap. It's like recommending <laughs> cocaine to somebody. You know? Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> so you know what I really like? Cocaine. It keeps me going during the day. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm more, I'm more of a heroin person myself. I can cross genres. I, I'm open-minded. The plus side is that it really gets me up. The bad side is that it makes me bleed from the nose and leaves me with bloodshot <laughs> eyes, and I can't stop twitching for some reason. That's uh, that's Super Robot Wars T in a T to a T. T to a T. So, yeah, I recommend the cocaine that is Super Robot Wars. But, yeah, no, um, the things that kind of leave me frustrated is so one of its centerpiece series is G Gundam, which has uh-huh. appeared in many Super Robot Wars. I and mean, if you're not familiar with G Gundam, G Gundam is a batshit insane tournament anime. Uh, it's not anything related to Gundam for the most part. It has Gundam units, but it could be anything else, basically. Right. It has, like, kung fu stuff, uh, like, superpowers. It's like Dragon Ball. It's crazy. Is, is this the one with the, the racist robots, like, Yes, uh, Canadian this, lumberjack. That's the one with Tequila Gundam. Can tequila Gundam, yeah, all hail. They have super moves like Love Love Tenkyo Ken or whatever. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Where they they, they like are chanting, they're chanting uh, basically battle mantras that power them up and turn them gold so that they can shoot giant hearts through uh, enemy robots. Wow. 
That's, yeah. a, that's a political statement, I guess. So tr- there are a lot of fun to have in any Super Robot Wars game because they're always so crazy over the top. Uh-huh. Um, and this one is lacking most of the signature attacks from the show. Like, it's actually kind oh. of a letdown how limited it feels, actually. Oh, that's and too bad. I went back to a PV- PSP version that I shunned a long time ago, Super Robot Wars A Portable, uh, which was A had loading times and B was very hard. Oh, uh, way less accessible than the current games. And I was finding myself kind of floored by how much more elaborate a lot of the, the content is in there. Hmm. Um, just like for reference, uh, if you watch the YouTube highlight clip of uh, the G Gundam unit from that game versus in Super Robot Wars T, it's literally twice as long in that game. And there's a oh. reason for that, Nadia. Uh-huh. The reason is, it's just a lot harder to make HD assets. <laughs> that's a very good reason. A very uh, that that's a very predictable reason. Yes, the animation is crazy elaborate in Super Robot Wars T, and they just only have so much bandwidth. You know, that's why that's you don't fair. have as many series as you used to have as well. Huh. So, and and I gotta say, like looking at a portable, I was like, wow, man, this game looks really good. Still, the animation is really excellent. Uh, there's way more attack options and everything. There's mm-hmm. way more series. And there's a lot of series in there that I really miss, like 008, Gundam 0083 and very an old school Getter Robo and old school Mazinger. It was to the point, and I don't, I don't um, advocate piracy, but I downloaded an emulator. <gasps> yes, I downloaded a PSP emulator. And the English patched version of Super Robot Wars A Portable. Now, I want to put in a disclaimer here. I used to own Super Robot, Super Robot Wars A Portable. Like, that. I have yeah, actually I, spent I, money on that game. I think you've, like, I don't know how much you've spent on Super Robot Wars games, but I think you've earned a few credits, like sure. a few pirate credits. It was enough that I wanted to, like, start playing through that one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm kind of hoping that playing on an emulator will kind of reduce the load times but so that's kind of where i am with this game it it feels a little it's i'm having a good time with it it's enjoyable but it's not hitting me as hard as super robot wars v mostly because v x and t almost feel a little bit interchangeable Mm -hmm. Uh, one's on switch i really like being able to play it on my tv again it looks gorgeous on my tv i like harlock it, I like Cowboy Bebop. I'm excited to have Ray Earth in here. I'm sure that yeah, as I get cool. further and deeper into the game, I'm going to be really invested in it. But it feels just a smidge too interchangeable. But So that's where I stand with Super Robot Wars. And TV. that is I, the, the Super Robot Wars report. That is the Super Robot Wars report. I promised that I would give my some of my impressions. I, I, will, I will say more as I continue to play through it, but honestly, I should be playing something else because there are other so many other games. Like Katana Zero, I kind of want to play through that too. Yeah, I really want to play that. That's, um, I played that for the first time at PAX East, actually, and I was really intrigued by it. And uh, yes, Mike reviewed it on our site, everyone. It, uh, it scored very well, and it's supposed to be a great game. All right, let's move on to some very quick headlines, Nadia. Uh, One of the more interesting headlines, uh, following on from literally every other uh, studio wanting to do some kind of variant of their own (laughs) uh, Netflix show based on a video game, uh, apparently Lucasfilm wants to do a Knight of the Old Republic project, which is makes sense because... Uh 
Lucasfilm, uh, you know, they're wrapping up episode nine this year, I believe. And yes, this year. So with episode nine wrapping up and kind of looking ahead to the new trilogy, I, I imagine that they're looking for greener pastures to go to maybe territory that isn't so well worn. And I think the old Republic timeline is a natural choice. Yeah, um, I can see why. Like, I heard that they want to take a small break or a break period from, you know, the whole epic sort of trilogy movies. And I think going back to just doing like lower budget Netflix stuff or Disney Plus in this case, whatever they call themselves, uh, probably not the worst idea. I am not a huge, huge fan of the Star Wars Extended Universe. Um, to me, like, I'm kind of old school, and to me, the Extended Universe was the Heir to the Empire series, and that was good enough for me back in the day. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, just like the cartoons and stuff. I haven't watched much of those, but uh, it's, I still acknowledge that they're definitely a good idea, a good way to cleanse the palate after, like, these big, grand, you know, sweeping projects they have going on. I miss uh, the Heir to the Empire universe. Oh, so you read it too, huh? Yeah. The Expanded yeah. Universe was a lot of fun for a while. It was. Uh, it was a little bit kooky, but it was a lot of fun. I still know someone who is kind of bitter that they didn't go with, uh, you know, Mara Jade and all that for the, ex- you nah, know, for whatever. Which is like, I don't really agree with that. Like, okay, I have no problem with the new movies. I think they're great. I think, I personally think The Last Jedi was, was, was freaking incredible. It still had some parts that were a little bit slow. Sure, it wasn't perfect, but I love Kylo Ren. I just think he's fantastic as a villain. My contention is that they should have gone with the Expanded Universe, and here's why. Because they've had a lot of success adapting with Marvel, adapting well-known stories mm-hmm. to That's the true. Star Wars universe, or to the Marvel universe, right? I mean, mm-hmm. just look at the whole Avengers Endgame kind of thing, right? The, right. Uh, the Thanos story is based on a, a familiar and very famous story within comics, and they completely changed it and upgraded it and gave it their own spin. That was fine, right? It right. It's the same deal with um, the the Civil War story, right? That's true. I think they could have come in and basically been like, well, the books are their own thing. They're over here. And uh-huh. also we're doing a Star Wars. We're, we're doing our own versions of the expanded universe in the films. And you could have just treated the expanded universe books like the Marvel comics, right? It's just one yeah, different true. variation of the Star Wars kind of lore. Yeah. But they really wanted to have a integrated uh, transmedia universe, right? Yeah. So they had to make their own thing. And I'm sure that when they brought in J.J. Abrams, he was like, I just want to do Star Wars again. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> we got to rope in a whole new audience by going with all the old stuff. And it was like, fine, whatever. It worked. But I think that the expanded universe, at least at the beginning, was a lot better realized than uh, the current universe. I think the current universe is kind of a mess from a world-building perspective. Yeah, from a world-building perspective, yeah, but I just like the characters and, and, and stuff going on. I think that they did the original cast dirty. I really do. Uh, <laughs> really? With, uh, you mean like Han and Leia? and Especially Han and especially Leia. Uh, Leia is so sad. Yeah, like Luke, I actually like Luke's arc. I, I like too. the idea of him ending up on a planet somewhere, basically going full Yoda, kind of questioning everything after the Jedi Academy goes horribly wrong. I, that's actually an interesting yeah. turn for the character. 
And I honestly, one of my favorite Star Wars scenes ever is Yoda basically bonking Luke over the head again <laughs> and having that, <laughs> having their moment, right? I th- yeah. I actually think they handled Luke perfectly. I think so, yes. But when it came to uh, Leia and Han, like, it's just straight up mean, you know? Is it? Like, I, I feel like Han, yes, I see where you're coming from. But Leia, I feel like I really, really liked her kind of world-weary atmosphere sort of feeling aura and um i'm just really disappointed because this movie coming up was supposed to be her like movie and obviously it can't happen now yeah it's kind of a bummer it really is yeah that's kind of interesting isn't it the first one was han the second one was Uh luke and the third one would have been leia yeah yeah Yeah. it was supposed to be that way too bad sad i suppose the one good thing about this trilogy and actually i like this trilogy better than a lot of people believe it or not (laughs) Yeah, um, is that it's a lot less simplistic than the usual. And then they, you know, they had their happy ending and their happy ending is getting married and having kids. Yeah, you know? I agree. The end of Harry Potter was like, and then they got married and they got married and they got uh, married. It was so and stupid. By the way, they hooked up. And it's like, <laughs> okay. And they all had kids and they all had dumb names. And very, they all had terrible very names. dumb names. There's your ships. Now get out of, my, get out of town. And it's like, yeah, I guess sometimes you have a kid and that kid goes extremely wrong. Yeah, that's why I really like Kylo Ren, because he's a, a stupid-ass kid who has way too much power and he's, like, got too much of a hero complex going on. He, I, I think he's very interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of the nerds hate Kylo Ren so much because they see way too much of themselves in him. It could be. I mean, he is, uh, like, a, he could be anyone. You know what I mean? He's not a badass. He's kind of a no. whiny little prick. And I hate whiny little pricks. Mom! <laughs> Mom, where's the pizza rolls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so I have mixed feelings about the the updated trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because I think it rehashes some things. I don't think it's as well... I, I think it's really hard to sketch out the universe in a way that's as interesting as... Uh, the way that you can do the books. But, of course, the Expanded Universe got super up its own ass at a certain point. So. Oh, God, did it ever, yeah. God did it ever. So I think the Knights of the Old Republic uh, universe is fertile territory for them to ruin. <laughs> for them to stomp all over like a bantha in heat? Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of banthas in heat, actually, no, this is a terrible segue, but I just wanted to say that. Uh, so Joker is out on the Nintendo Switch. Uh that is a really, that's a very intriguing segue, but yes, he is he is out on the Switch. Well, maybe we could say that uh, the Nintendo servers were basically stomped on by a Bantha in heat. Yeah. Because they sure that's weren't a, working accurate. last night. No, they sure weren't. And here's what really amuses me, too, is apparently someone found a soft lock that goes on if you beat, I can't remember what it was, Classic Mode or something, on Joker's final smash. It soft locks on his, the show is over screen. And it's like, Whoa. well, if you're going to soft lock anywhere, I guess that's where you're going to soft lock. Dang. The show is over. Show is over. <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> I go home. I tried out Joker. How is he? Uh, it's okay. Um, uh, from a fighting game perspective, he seems to have everything you could kind of want out of a character. Mm-hmm. Um, he has really good recovery. Uh, he has good close-up moves. He has some good ranged moves. Uh, he has a more powerful form after taking a certain amount of damage. He summons right. a persona who uh, helps out and basically powers up all of his various attacks. 
uh, the they did a really good job of realizing the the character with the various animations and everything. They did absolutely. I like, I like the alternate costume. Yes, the kid with the knife. The kid with the knife is going to shank you. Akira, what do you have? A knife? No. The memento is a, a fun stage to have it in. Uh, I love seeing um, the cat bus like driving around in the background. And uh, they pay tribute to Persona 4 and 3 as well. Yes. Though they don't have one of my favorite songs, which is the one that I uh, play incessantly on this podcast when I edit, which is Life Will Change. Yeah, I am I am bummed they don't have Life Will Change. I'm, I'm disappointed in that. I'm glad they have uh, Rivers in the Desert. Yeah, uh, they had Rivers in the Desert, which was a really intriguing addition. Yeah, but they used um, Life Will Change for the reveal trailer with him, so I don't know why they didn't have it in the final yeah that was a weird choice wasn't it yeah yeah i would say that joker is certainly much better realized than cloud cloud was a huge letdown uh if you're a square unix fan just because they only gave two songs i, two I, will, songs. Never, I will never understand that with cloud yeah no, me I, maybe they're trying to protect their cd business or whatever <laughs> they do put out <laughs> a lot of CD special remix soundtracks and all that but wouldn't you think that a really robust Final Fantasy soundtrack selection would be advertising for your freaking soundtracks? Yeah, you know, if you go to, like, uh, Persona 5 music on YouTube right now, you will find people who are like, oh, I didn't really know much about this series, but, you know, because of this music, I'm really interested in it now. The music is really good in Persona. It is, it's great. It's part of, the, part of the experience. Also, Cloud is extremely boring and extremely OP in Super Smash Brothers, whereas Joker is actually a lot of fun to play to some extent. Joker's a very interesting character. He's kind of like, I think he reminds me a bit of the Squid Kids in that he's not so much a direct attacker as he is um, a little bit more hands-off. You would think that he would be fairly straightforward to use. I mean, it's like he's got some close-up attacks. He's, mm-hmm. he's really fast and mobile. Uh, he has his ranged attacks. But the way the ranged attacks work where you're kind of throwing little fireball things, and then you have very slow-firing guns, much slower yeah. than in the the regular game. And then when you're up close, you have the knives, but they're not extremely powerful. And mm-hmm. some of the moves combo together in very interesting ways. It's an interesting character. Yeah, I'm not extremely good with very lightweight characters, and he seems to be very lightweight. He's fairly lightweight, yeah. And he kind of reminds me of fox or one of those other exactly or i think inklings is a good comparison where the character is super kind of i don't know fluid very fluid and really great maybe in the hands of an advanced player but maybe kind of hard to use for a lesser player yeah i would yeah like me like i I am not one of those people who do insane combos uh i do not know how to take advantage of every single inch of a stage and i feel like characters like joker are meant for that all right, so I mentioned that we're doing an, a mailbag, Nadia, and this one is from Neil Cameron. I'm just jumping in to the mailbag really quickly. They said, you've probably been asked something similar already, but with Joker finally out for Smash, what does that mean beyond a likely P5 Switch, P3P port, Perfor- Persona 4 Golden, Rest in Peace Vita, and the SMT 1 through 4 remasters? So I guess I'm going to take this into one by one, okay? Mm-hmm. Persona 5 Switch, uh, rumor on the streets, and please keep in mind that this is totally unverified, is that it's happening? Yeah, I can't uh, see it not happening. This is just purely, this is just pure rumor, this is what I've been hearing around, uh, but it's a lot of people who are smart and in the know are convinced that Persona 5 Switch is a thing that's going yeah. to happen. 
Yeah. Uh, that said, some other people were on a message board not too long ago and basically poo-pooed the idea that Persona 5S, which is the game that's going to be announced next week, uh, mm-hmm. or this week as of the release of this podcast, at a orchestral uh, version. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, they said that it's going to be a spinoff. Hum. Or they, hmm. were, they, they were suggesting that it would be a spinoff. They said that it would not be a Switch game. It would not be the Switch port. And that Persona okay. 4 Royal is a PS4 exclusive. Now, this is unverified reporting. I'm I'm just yeah. saying this. We do not have a source who's told us one way or another. This is yeah. all secondhand. But, I mean, that sounds about right, actually. I, I think was, was kind of wondering Switch, that. I think a Persona 5 uh, Switch port is coming, but maybe not as soon as we thought. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, okay, are we getting Persona 5 the Crimson or whatever they called it? What did they call it? Royal, that's right. Royal. Are we getting that on Switch, or are we just getting a vanilla port of, of Persona 5? And, uh, you know, then, like, the Royal is for PS4 exclusive, which would really cheese me off, because I want to play Persona 5 again. I want to play on my Switch, but I don't... I want to play new stuff, but I don't necessarily want to play two versions of Persona 5 at the same time. Ain't nobody got time for that. I started... I actually stopped Persona 5 because I was like, oh, I want I want to start over on Switch. And now I'm not You're so right. sure, actually. I'm kind of wondering if I should just power through and finish it. I don't know. Um, I guess maybe at least you know see what we're where we are when the this whole orchestra thing goes down and we hear an announcement. I mean, I'm going to have a little time over the over the summer because there's barely anything coming out um, over the next few months, and I don't really want to spend all of my time on Super Robot Wars. So I'm kind of inclined <laughs> so to go you back. Say. So I say, but I, did I mention that recommending Persona f- or Super Robot Wars is like recommending cocaine? Like, yes. Just because it's a habit doesn't mean that I'm like super happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> we should have go back to the 80s. Make That's it how I feel program. every time I pick up one of these damn games. Like, I start getting into them, and then by the time I'm up to, like, level 50, I'm just like, let this end. Oh, my God. I'm bleeding <laughs> from the eyes. I'm enjoying myself, but I just need this to end. I've put a solid 70 hours into another one of these games. <laughs> you have to call it for an intervention. Yeah. So the other ones, Persona 3 Portable, Port, completely unconfirmed. Um only the bears of rumors at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could kind of connect it to the fact that uh, Persona 3 uh, recently had some 3D models in the, the rhythm games, but yeah. that's it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I would yeah. love it for it to happen. I think Persona 3 deserves it. but Yeah, I would absolutely play a Persona 3 port if it came out. I have not played the game, and that would definitely spur me on. Persona 4 Golden, same deal, maybe at some point. Maybe. But it sure seems like... Everything I've seen suggests that Alice is all in on Persona 5 right now. And yeah. That takes a certain amount of development resources. And so I actually wouldn't be surprised if they're in, they're content to kind of leave Persona 3 and 4 behind. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll outsource it. I'm not sure. All speculation again. And then SMT 1 through 4 remasters, I would not hold your breath. Yeah. Yeah. The SMT games just don't have the same traction over here that they do over in Japan. I would com- kind of compare the SMT series a little bit to, not even to Dragon Quest, because uh, frankly, Dragon Quest is more popular in Japan than I, I think so. Yeah, traditional SMT. SMT has been for, around for a long time. Uh, it's it's popular, but not extremely popular. Um, so I mean, SMT five will come out. <laughs> it's gonna oh, yeah. be a thing. Uh, Alice has a lot of uh, irons in the fire, as it were. But They do. They really do. But we're going to get something announced this week. It, I expect it's going to be some kind of spinoff, and it'll be interesting. 
Okay, Nadia, I think that is all of the news and discussion about the games that we're playing. So let's go jump into the mailbag really quickly, shall we? Yay. Sure. Let's do that. Though I guess we are already in the mailbag, weren't we? <laughs> Up to our elbows a bit. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's continue on. Okay, so the first one is, uh, appropriately enough, from Dr. Pooh. And Dr. Pooh <laughs> says, Any excitement for Grandia and Crystal Chronicles coming for the Nintendo Switch? Nadia, what do you say? I have not played a Grandia game, so yes, I'm looking forward to that because it is about time I do that, and I've heard great Wait, things about the series. You've never played a Grandia game? I have never played a Grandia game. Nadia, the gaps in your RPG like lexicon is shocking. You gotta well, play know. some Grandia, man. Like uh, uh, with the what generation was Grandia? That was the original Grandia was the PlayStation and Sega Saturn, and then Grandia Two right. came out on the Dreamcast, and then okay, also yeah. some other systems, and then Grandia Three came out on the PS2. It's funny that I missed it because, yeah, my PlayStation RPG history was quite, uh, was pretty good. But yeah, I missed it. So, yep, yeah, excited for that. Don't uh, quote me on this, even though I'm saying uh, it. And these are words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I think Corey Barlog is a big Grandia 3 fan. Oh, really? I think That's he told me that he likes Grandia 3 a lot, which is interesting because I do not like the story in that game. Is it about his son and his father? His son and his mother, I think. They're, they're, on, they're traveling. Does the mother have an axe? Uh, I don't remember. I just remember that I found the voice acting in that game really annoying. But it had a great battle system. It was quite pretty for the time. It was one of the three games that I bought and brought with me to Japan. It was the only one that I couldn't finish. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. But Grandia 2 was great. Finish that one. No, yeah, I'm looking forward. Like, the, the collection is coming out. That's one and two, right? I don't think yeah. it's three. Yeah, yeah, no, and they're getting enhanced and everything for the Nintendo yeah. Switch. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, I got um, to see some Grandia 2 at PAX West last year. Uh-huh. And it was looking pretty solid from what I was able Good. to see. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked very much like a Dreamcast game. <laughs> yes, that's fine. I don't mind that whole retro sort of... Uh, the battle system was one of the best battle systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really terrific. Um, just the way that you have the all of the characters on a timeline, and then you hit to a point where... Some moves get charged up really fast and can be activated immediately, but other moves require a fair amount of charging, and then you can interrupt those particular moves with other moves. And so there's a lot of really interesting give and take. Positional uh, positions matter, um, mm-hmm. especially during boss battles. It can get really intense. Like one of the final boss battles is just really, really. It kicked my ass for a long time. It took me a long time to beat because it was so. Timing was timing wise, it was so intense. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to giving it a try. Uh, but Crystal Chronicles is, eh, afraid that really? doesn't really. Yeah, not really. It doesn't really rank on my radar so much. Uh, I'm sure, like, if I play it, I'll be like, oh, okay, this this is fun. I, who knows? I might love it, but it's not like, wow, I'm excited for this sort of territory. I thought it was a lot more interesting back in you know 2003 or whatever when it came out. I mean, first of all. It was a big deal to have a Final Fantasy game back on it was. a Nintendo platform. Yeah, that was a big deal by itself. Yeah, and then also it had the whole Game Boy Advance connectivity thing going on that Nintendo yeah. was pushing really hard. And yeah. then it was pretty nifty at the time, you know. 
And it was a cool party co-op game. Yeah, I have to say, a lot of those Game Boy compatible games, like Game Boy Advance compatible games, were actually quite nifty. Like, I remember Four Sword Adventures, I really enjoyed that. But um, you have to have four Game Boy Advances to really have much fun with it. Yeah, that was pretty much the case, and it was not fun to play single player either. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, But I liked the idea of one character having to carry the bucket, mind the bucket. (laughs) What's in the bucket? Well, the bucket... Uh, protects the party from all of the poison. Oh, right, right. So you're constantly fighting in a little bubble. Mind the bucket. Yeah. And then, of course, the GBA version was how you manage your inventory and everything, so I imagine Mm -hmm. that you can do something to that effect with your Nintendo Switch now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so... uh, To answer your question, uh, Dr. Pooh, um, I will play, actually, I think I, I... I never got around to playing the original Grandia very much. I played it a little bit when it came out on the PS4, but I never got to delve into it as much as I wanted to. Um, And I enjoyed Grandia 2 back in the day. I already finished that one, but I do think that it is a really fun RPG to revisit. Certainly, the story isn't amazing, but it is pretty fast-paced and enjoyable. Mm -hmm. As for Crystal Chronicles, it could be a fun party game, but I actually think that it's going to end up falling between the cracks a little bit. I think so, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I think it'll come out, some people will talk about it, and then everybody will just kind of move on, because it was never really that big of a deal in the first place. Prove me wrong. Maybe there are huge, some huge Crystal Chronicles fans out there. Prove us wrong, Planet Earth. Prove us wrong. Well, now that we've crapped on everybody's enthusiasm for these two <laughs> games. <laughs> Sorry. The next question is from Targaryen Affiliate. How do you go about introducing someone to RPGs? both to people who have played video games before, maybe they've played sports games, FPS, MOBAs, etc., and as newcomers to video games as a whole. Well, I think, Nadia, we've talked about how we individually got our starts in RPGs, and yeah, I think that maybe both of us were a little predisposed to getting into RPGs. There is that. I was just thinking about that. I'm thinking about, okay, let's say you're playing an RPG and someone is watching you play on the couch, like any RPG, say Final Fantasy VII, which of course is the, you know, a really easy point of entry. If they're laughing at it and saying, what is this stupid shit? This is so dumb. You know, why are they talking? Why don't they shut up? They're not going to like RPGs. Yeah, I think (laughs) if you have somebody who is a hardcore Call of Duty action shooter fan, uh, it's going to be a little tougher to sell them on an RPG because it'll be like, well, it's like the games you love, except not at all. Except not at all. But that said, there are some RPGs that are kind of universal, right? I mean, I think that I could recommend Witcher 3 to basically anybody. Yeah, I could see Witcher 3 being a good, uh, you know, point of entry because it's a little less silly than a lot of JRPGs are. And I am say silly in the most, like, loving sense. I absolutely adore some JRPG nonsense, but... Uh, I understand it's not for everyone. It's not just that. It's the fact that it's an open-world action game. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody who really loves an Assassin's Creed game, you can pretty easily point them in the direction of the Witcher game, for example. That's true. If you have somebody who really loves a Call of Duty game and they're looking for a change of pace, you can pretty easily point them in the direction of the Mass Effect games. This is why these games became massive mainstream crossover successes, right? Right. No, you're right. And uh, like I was saying, Skyrim is another good example. If somebody likes post-apocalyptic fiction, Fallout. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, as for the more esoteric games, uh, specifically on the Japanese side, I mean, if you know somebody who's really into anime and they haven't tried Persona, I mean, I would think that the Persona games would be an easy recommendation, right? Oh, yeah, I would think so. Um, 
Because, yeah, it, it is pretty much just an episode of anime, uh, except you get in there and uh, kick some ass with some demons <laughs> when after school. Are there any other RPGs that you would recommend to a freaking weeb um, outside of Persona? <laughs> I guess the usuals, right? Chrono Trigger, that kind of thing. Chrono Trigger. Um, modern RPGs? If you're like, what about modern RPGs? I bet modern Dragon RPGs, Quest Eleven. Uh, I think Dragon Quest Eleven. if you are, if you've always been kind of Dragon Quest curious, <laughs> by all means, I would say Eleven's a good start. I don't know about that, though. It's really slow-paced. I don't think so. See, you said it was slow-paced, but I didn't find it too slow-paced. I mean, but you're a Dragon Quest fan, and so yeah. you're, you're a nerd to these kinds of games, so of course you're going to be like, it's not that slow-paced by Dragon Quest standards. Well, by Dragon Quest standards, I mean, a lot of Dragon Quest games are slower. Look at Seven. It felt like I was playing in. for hours, and I barely, I didn't even really have a party. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely a game that once you get started, you really get started, but um, I don't know. I I still, like, talk to people who Eleven was their first, and they were like, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I don't want to, so, I don't want to Dr. Poo the uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, you know, but <laughs> I mean, I'm going to play it on Switch. And I bet they're yes. going to make some really like meaningful and good changes. And I think it'll be an incredible fit for the Nintendo Switch, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm especially looking forward to the orchestral soundtrack. I, don't, I hate being so hung up on that, but it's a big deal for me because RPG soundtracks are a big deal for me. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think RPGs are kind of an interesting and natural process to get into. Um, I mean, we come from a background, Nadia, where we grew up playing you know, 8-bit, 16-bit games, right? And back in those days, uh, there were a lot of platformers and shoot-em-ups and arcade games. Arcade games were really dominant. So RPGs really stood out, right? They did. They stood out to me because it was like, you know, as a kid, I loved reading. I loved stories and I loved writing. And I said, wow, here's a video game that's a story too. That's incredible. And just like I was hooked from, from Dragon Quest on. Yeah, exactly. So... Just having a story was a big deal. Uh, it, it was really very big set deal. them apart from these other games, and they were really long and ambitious, and they were turn-based versus action-based. And you felt mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I could use my brain to solve this game rather than being uh, being all twitchy and yeah. needing to have real skill to beat these games. And so those that was really appealing. And these days, the everything has kind of come together so much; it's fairly rare to find. I don't know, like, action games have stories. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Games that I would never call RPGs have rpg light elements. Um, there are still games that I would definitively call RPGs coming out, and they are kind of of a niche interest. I would say that maybe the most mainstream of a quote-unquote very traditional JRPG is, like, Persona 5. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, so... As for, I don't know, I don't know if that was extremely helpful. <laughs> I guess when it <laughs> it's comes... It's a hard topic. When it comes to getting people into RPGs, like, I guess you can kind of take it by a case-by-case basis, right? I mean... You would have to. Knowing yeah. the kind of person who, what they like, what kind of games they like, you know. If you find them playing Dungeons & Dragons, probably they're going to be susceptible to wanting to play some hardcore RPGs, right? Yeah, um, I would have. I'd be a lot more comfortable recommending an RPG to someone who plays double uh, Dungeons and Dragons versus, like, you know, someone who's more into the multiplayer only on Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Uh, Zidanex asks, "Do you think Bioware releases a next-gen game? Can they make it under EA? What do you think, Nadia?" Oh, I don't know. It's it's such a it's such a foggy subject, isn't it? Like. I, I'll be honest with you, Anthem has kind of just slid off my brain. I forgot it was a thing for a moment there. 
That, exactly. That's the sound of the it's sliding off your brain and hitting and the floor. Hitting the floor like a like a puddle of slime. Yeah, um, I want them to. I, I'm really rooting for Bioware, but it's just I don't know. It's there. I think I look in their direction and they're just a blank. What do you think? I think they will. I think that EA is more image conscious than you think. And mm. we're seeing that right now. I mean, when Jedi Fallen Order, which I've heard some interesting things about Jedi Fallen Order. I'm really looking forward to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jedi Fallen Order came out, they made a big deal about how it wasn't didn't have microtransactions. It didn't have any of the things that gamers find so annoying. Like they were actively pushing against it. And that's true. That is true. I, but I do wonder, is that because of Disney? Like shaking them no, by the scruff. I have no idea. It's speculation, right? Exactly. Um, Jason Schreier, when he was reporting on the whole Anthem thing and the whole Bioware thing, uh, I think he was saying in Twitter or t- something to that effect that he believes that uh, it, from what he was gathering, EA wants Bioware to work, that they have faith mm-hmm. in Bioware, that they're going to give Bioware a lot of rope. And so. basically like, okay – it's up to you. We're not going to like shut you down, right? Because I think I think they probably got a lot of PO, bad PR from Visceral and that kind of thing. And I think they're a little gun shy on that front for sure. Yeah. So I really do hope that's the case and uh, they don't just give them enough rope to hang themselves with. But not only that, but a, 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 a studio like BioWare is so established and has such a fan base and such a reputation. And they can yes. still make blockbuster, very profitable games uh, on the best of times. Unfortunately, it's not as much as, say, an Ultimate Team game can, but... Yeah, unfortunately. But they can still make games that can do a lot of uh, a lot of sales. Um, and so I expect at least Dragon Age 4 to come out, and I expect Dragon Age 4 to come out on the PS5. Oh, yeah. We're getting yeah. to that generation, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, Dragon Age 5... Dragon Age 4 has barely begun production like that. Yeah. <laughs> they had to basically completely change it. Uh, according to the reporting by uh, again Kotaku, and mm-hmm. it uh, it's been rebooted as a project, and it had a skeleton grew um, through the development of Anthem, and now it's time to turn it into a thing. And the day grows late on the current generation. It sounds like we're gonna get it a does. PS5 next generation. So yeah, to answer your question, yes, I do think Bioware is going to have a, a a new game next generation. As for whether it'll be a new IP, I guess we'll see. We will see. We shall see. Game game development is interesting. It's going to look totally different in five years. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah, the, like the landscape will be different. The games that are popular will be different. Um, who knows what? Who knows if we're still going to be doing this podcast five years from now? And we'll all have antennas. <laughs> uh, at Outrider C says, "Is there a game series that you'd like to see receive an RPG spinoff?" My go-to is always Zelda. Party-based RPG with Goron, Zora, etc. teammates. Alternatively, what's your favorite RPG spin-off? Nadia, did you ever like that Mega Man RPG? Uh, you know what? I kind of do. I know it's not very good, and I, I totally admit that it's not very good. Um, there's a lot wrong with it, uh, but I like, I don't know, I feel like it could have been a lot better, and I feel like the potential is still there for a good Mega Man X RPG, because I've, I'm intrigued with some of the things they did with the battle system, like uh, even though it's a little bit silly, like, oh, instead of, you know, a poison effect, you get a virus effect. And stuff like that was still a lot of fun. I love what they did with the classic Mega Man enemies, gave them kind of these, like, 3D models and, you know, animated them. 
Uh, the world itself wasn't too interesting. Like, one thing that still chases me off is they basically got rid of all the humans. The, the You know, the exposition was, oh, all the humans have been evacuated. I'm like, that's bullshit. Why aren't you showing me, you know, humans and reploids together? That's a really interesting dynamic that you can explore to really great effect in an RPG and you didn't. You're going to leave it up to the Zero series, which actually did explore that dynamic. Uh, I would honestly love to see them try again and uh, this time do a little better. I bet Castlevania would make a really good RPG series. That would be an interesting RPG series, wouldn't it? And don't tell me the Symphony of the Night's an RPG. I mean, yes, it is. It's Metroidvania with like some heavy RPG elements and everything. Yeah. But um, levels, but (laughs) it's an RPG like Dark Souls is an RPG. But oh boy, (laughs) here we go (laughs) again. Here we go again. Um. Yeah, but like a proper turn-based Castlevania RPG or maybe an open-world Castlevania RPG would be kind of interesting, maybe along the lines of The Witcher. Yeah, because absolutely. Okay, so I don't remember the, the, you know know what I'm talking about, the 3D action games that were made by that Spanish studio. Yeah, Mercury Steam ones. Mercury Steam. Um, Those were more straightforward action games, right? They were. They were really kind of boring. Uh, It would be kind of interesting to uh, revisit them and try to take more of a Witcher bent with them. Yeah, I you know that's totally fine. I would love to see that, but um, kind of don't take yourself so seriously with the story, guys. What about a Metroid RPG? Huh? Now that's an interesting idea. I would honestly not say no to that. I mean, you could really re envision who Samus is, right? Exactly. What would a, what would a Metroid unit RPG look like to you, Nadia? Well, I'm just thinking about that because. I can't see a Metroid RPG working unless you're talking about Samus alone, like a one-party, a one-person party. Maybe you know, uh, maybe a second person on occasion, the way you have with the you know the Paper Mario games. But um, I just feel like you could. Samus's thing has always been like you know one girl versus all the world, and I feel like you could actually convey that feeling really well in an RPG. But you can't have her like chumming around with everyone in the universe otherwise it's just not going to work to me so turn it from a metroidvania into more of a single-player dungeon crawler something like that yeah uh maybe a little more interesting because of course dungeon crawlers can be can get a little bit samey metroid souls metroid souls (laughs) you died metroid souls but it's more of an rpg sure i don't know I'll, i'll play it i'd give it a try i suppose i would too I don't know. It's it's interesting because, as I think we already mentioned, RPG elements have seeped their way into so many blockbuster games exactly. now. Exactly, yeah. That it's hard to be like, oh, this game would be an amazing RPG because, I mean, it kind of already feels like so many games already are. I mean, look at Assassin's Creed. You'd be like, oh, yeah. I want an Assassin's Creed. Oh, wait, it is, kind of is an RPG. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. You know what would be a fun universe? It, it, it's funny because, so, Overwatch began as an MMO. Right. And then they repurposed it into a team-based shooter. Hmm. I mean, right. Overwatch is such a fun, goofy, insane universe. That would be a tremendous, tremendously fun party-based shooter. Or party-based no, you're right. RPG. It would, it'd be pretty perfect because, yeah, you have um, you already have like very well-established characters, well-established universe, uh, good, you know, you have your good guys, your bad guys. I would, I, honestly, I don't play Overwatch, but I would play an Overwatch RPG quite soon. Hmm. Any others that you would uh, kind of throw in there? Oh, it, this is one of those topics where it's like you you have a million that you think of when you're like in bed just about to fall asleep and it's like <laughs> you're confronted face on. It's, it's a little harder to say, but um, I definitely would say I would prioritize above all else a, a good Mega Man X RPG. 
All right, so Dave Dalrymple's 11 says, any plans to review Zonky Zero? Nadia, have you heard of Zonky Zero? I have heard of it. Um, it is a, a Chun Spikesoft game, kind of in the spirit of 999, isn't it? Yeah, well, more like the spirit of Danganronpa, but also right. with dungeon crawling elements. Um People were calling it or comparing it a little bit to Legend of Grimrock. Yeah, I um, I have not played Danganronpa yet, so I don't know if it's really in my wheelhouse yet. But looking at the premise, it seems kind of interesting. Like, it's uh, basically end-of-the-world narrative. You have eight people who have survived, and uh, I guess the whole deal is to keep surviving. It's really die. it's really complex, actually. So it's kind yeah. of a survival RPG. Um, That's interesting. And these yeah. people are in a post-apocalyptic, but very colorful post-apocalyptic world, right? Right. This strange place. So maybe this is a little bit wrong, but I get a little bit of a Satoshi Kon vibe from uh, Zonky Zero, just in how strange everything is. And one of the key conceits is that the characters are aging extremely quickly, and then they right. die, and then they come back to life. And okay, so yes. dying is a good thing in this game. <laughs> dying is good that's a that's a good back of the box quote too dying is good i remember hearing about this game a long time ago and being really intrigued by the premise so it's one of those things where it's like you you hear about it and you're like oh i really want to try that i really want to go back to that but you know it's uh you got plates full of stuff it's well rated on steam and a lot uh-huh. of the very positive comments point to the very strange atmosphere that's going on the interpersonal dynamics, uh, a little bit of the dungeon crawling, but mm-hmm. perhaps less so the actual gameplay. The, right. the combat is okay. It's not amazing. Right. It feels like they pile a lot of systems on top of one another. So yeah. it feels like if you want a very strange and interesting uh, dungeon crawler with a lot of really interesting kind of uh, mechanics as relates to how the story is told, sort of like how mm-hmm. Rompa approaches it, uh, perhaps you want to try Zonky Zero. Now, it has good reviews on Steam uh, from users. It's got like a 9 out of 10 over on Steam right now. But it's uh, the console version is was kind of less well-received, I want to say. Right. Uh, and I think that is it, it's kind of barely reviewed by mainstream outlets. I think the most mainstream outlet to review it was maybe GameSpot. And, yeah, really passed under the radar. One of the reasons that it passed under the radar for us was uh, we were traveling <laughs> Yeah, we were. We were kind of in the middle of everything then, weren't we? Yeah, we were. I think we were at PAX East around that time. and well, Yeah, a lot of people were, actually. Yeah, it wasn't a super high priority, unfortunately. There's so many no. games coming out at any given time that even a game from a fairly reputable uh, developer like Spike Chunsoft, and I'm, I'll say Spike Chunsoft is relatively reputable. Um, yeah, definitely. It can be hard to devote our resources to actually being able to try it. Now, yeah, unfortunately. I think that it certainly rises above the level of a lot of the kind of bog-standard visual novels and that kind of thing that come out on uh, consoles. It has an intriguing premise. Um, and I think that if you're really into those kinds of like super uh, high-concept anime games, uh, maybe yeah. give it a shot. It's it's one of those games where it's like, oh, okay, I would definitely like to give this a try at some point, and, but it's Lord only knows if I'll get a chance, but it's, uh, I think, well of it for now. So, Nadia, when you were doing your newsletter not too long ago, you were talking about the ecosystem of monsters. Can you, like, tell me a little bit about this uh, premise? Oh, I wasn't actually talking so much about the ecosystem as I was just talking about, uh, 
I guess a little. I did get a little bit into the ecosystem of monsters because I was talking about how just Final Fantasy VII's monsters are, are very interesting and in that they they do reflect the ecosystems they live in. Like, uh, for example, <laughs> have you ever seen the monster, or do you remember the monster? It's around the blown up reactor. Uh, that's basically it's a triceratops with tank treads. No, I don't. It's amazing. It's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's pretty incredible. And I guess the implication is that, okay, here's this Mako reactor that's blown up. This is the only place to see this this monster. This Mako re- reactor that's blown up It's probably leaking weird-ass poison everywhere. Here's this weird-ass enemy to go along with it. And um, Final Fantasy VII is one game that has several instances like that. Like, um, it does a really interesting job combining the fantastic and the, the, the mundane, like, for example, the Midgar Zolem, which is supposed to be, you know, kind of a take on the world serpent, but which is mystical by itself, but it has like a, the sort of the stance of a cobra and the attack patterns of a cobra. And of course, for me anyway, it was just so intimidating to see this huge ass snake just rise above you in a way that no other enemy in any RPG on the SNES had ever done. So I, I just talked about like the impressions that monsters can make in terms of you know the ecosystems they inhabit and their designs, etc. Well, William Tucker sent a response, and they said, "I've spent years trying to figure out how the ecosystem of a game like Final Fantasy VI or VII or Secret of Mana works. All the animals are trying to kill you. <laughs> it's true. How is it possible that there could be that many hardcore predators at those levels of aggression, and nobody you meet in the towns and cities comment on that?" Secret of Mana sort of gets it right with the theme of natural world and turmoil. You can read it as nature making a radical escalation in the arms race, so to speak, to put a greedy, high-tech humanity in check. And there are consequences in real life when humans rapidly encroach upon wild spaces. Nothing so dramatic as the world becoming an endless gauntlet of pissed-off rats and slimes and skeleton warriors, but animals' attacks <laughs> do occur, and the stories quickly become viral. Has there ever been a Japanese or Western-style RPG that dealt with the ecology side of things? I've never played Monster Hunter, so maybe that's what game's all about. Ecology seems to lend itself to simulation-style games at that level of detail, as opposed to a Final Fantasy VII or an Illusion of Gaia, which is engages with the eco-concepts more broadly as fantasy allegory. This newsletter got me thinking about all this. By the way, subscribe to our newsletter. Yes, thank you for writing in about the newsletter. That yeah. makes me feel happy. Hooray! Join our Yay. little newsletter uh, community that we are building up. Um, to answer your question, I mean, Pokemon? <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. Pokemon is a good answer. I mean, kind of, right? I mean, Pokemon. Pokemon's ecosystem is bizarre. It really is. I think that they're really kind of falling into the role, though, with... Uh, I, I really get the feeling that Alola was when they started to really realize, hey, this is what we want the Pokemon universe to be like. And I think Detective Pikachu, the movie, is really going to clamp down hard on that, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. I think we're actually going to be able to get a press screening for it next week. Oh shit! Oh, I'm not. I don't live on the West Coast. Boo. Sorry, Nadia. Guess gotta come uh, live with the cool kids. Uh, gotta come over to hey. the best coast. Apparently, um, sad. Yeah, uh, they mentioned Monster Hunter. Obviously, yes, uh, that game yes. very much lends itself to kind of the level of detail that they're kind of looking for from the ecology. <laughs> but more broadly speaking, I think one of the themes that we've often seen from RPGs is that. At the dawn of the adventure, uh, the characters start to notice that things are wrong. Maybe the monsters yeah. are starting to become aggressive. Uh, the the winds have stopped. I'm, I'm thinking of the original Final Fantasy. Like, what's wrong with the crystals? Why are all the monsters yeah. like, suddenly getting angry and everything? You know, that kind of thing. So I think yeah, that is a key kind of component, like a key RPG trope, right? Yeah, it is. And uh, Secret of Mana is actually a very interesting example because I... I 
never thought of it in regards to, yes, there is the mana beast, which is formulated as kind of a response to, to mankind's arrogance uh, when mankind gets too technologically advanced to the point that they are damaging the planet with their weird-ass super weapons and whatnot, the, the mana beast exists to floor everything and start again. All right, Brad Johnson says, I loved your top 25 RPG series and was glad to see plenty of Western RPGs made the cut. However, is there any love left for the old SSI gold box games? I love the Forgotten Realms series and played them extensively on my C64 back in the days. They really haven't aged well, with even minor battles <laughs> taking way too long. In the tedious way, you had to divvy up loot and manage character inventories and such. I don't think there's any place for them in the top 25 in this day and age, but they're a major achievement. Another that maybe would at least merit an honorable mention is the Grandia series. I absolutely loved Grandia 2 on the Dreamcast, especially on the battle system. Getting your attack in just the right time to cancel an enemy attack strike felt so satisfying. The characters were likable and the storyline was decent enough. I only recently played the original on PS1 and thought it was also excellent, though I haven't played any of the later games. So our... Um, re the old ssi gold box games and they were a little bit before my time personally though i am actually familiar with pool of radiance nadia oh are you really yes i read the book back when i was in school oh my god really yeah i really enjoyed it too uh my main recollection of it is that there was this lady mage who accidentally takes um, a particular potion and gets super buff <laughs> I never read it, but that, that passage sounds very familiar. It sounds very D&D, &D, and it sounds so like the writer was like, I am really into this, and I'm totally going to, you know, make it a key plot hey, everyone, point. look at my fetish. <laughs> I really like muscly women. What? No, it's fine. It's uh, So does the author, apparently. I wasn't saying that I like muscly women. What the hell? <laughs> oh, okay. I, She's I'm Nadia. I shame. Um. I didn't play any of the SSI gold games, which is funny, because I, when I think of them, I can see the logo in my head just right? so clearly. Uh, uh, yeah, so totally. iconic. It is. Icon, iconic icon. Um, the only C64 game RPG I played with any sort of regularity with temp was Temple of Apshi uh, by Epics Games. That was, yes, like, though, like the um, SSI games, it was extremely complicated. You had to, like, you know, I was a kid who was, like, as far as my RPG... Uh, knowledge went back then. It was like Dragon Quest, which of course takes care of everything for you. It takes care of the you know calculations, takes care of your inventory. This is the this is a game that starts off with you having to like negotiate for your weapons, your supplies, and you have a certain you have a limited amount of of gold, and then you're kind of set loose in a dungeon that doesn't auto map. So I was terrible at the games, but I was always also a little bit blown away with just how complex they were. So I, it was one of those games where I always tried to survive and didn't survive for long, but I tried. So here's my, before we move on, here's my memory of the Path of Radiance games, or the Pool of Radiance games, my, 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 my bad. Um, so we used to have these little catalogs where you could order books in school. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Scholastic. Oh yeah, I would love to page through them, and they're like these very simple uh, little paper printout catalogs. Yeah. And so I'd be going through the different books, and there'd be Goosebump books or whatever. And on the back, they would always have PC games, uh, like oh, old PC games. And one of those games was Pool of Radiance, and I did not get to buy one. But I remember seeing the game Pool of Radiance on the back of that and thinking how funny it was that they were selling a freaking dungeon crawler on the back of an <laughs> educational book 
catalog. It's educational. <laughs> now you know what to do against a slime. I mean, technically, it's a bu- it's based on a book. Yeah, you are reading. You reading. are reading in this game. You're reading a ton. I wish I had convinced my parents to let me buy that instead of the stupid get instead of the stupid uh, game show game that I ended up buying from one of those things. Oh, those things are the game show games are always so boring. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had a good time with it. I guess it was one of those like match the word kind of games. Oh, you should have gone with Pull It Radiant. I had much, I had much worse taste in games, I guess, back then. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. Okay. Last thing, um, maybe Dark Souls is totally an RPG is become a major point of contention in our comments. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of kind of uh, opinions on this. Do you have an opinion on this, Nadia? I do not have an opinion. I just feel like I feel like. If I'm going to say, okay, Dark Souls is an RPG, then I'm going to say, you know, Breath of the Wild is an RPG, and it's just... It's kind of an RPG. Of those... Exactly. It's not like I can point to it and say, oh, no, absolutely not, uh-uh, 100%, no. I, I can be like, uh, sure, but just not enough for me to really consider it too much in a top 10 list of RPGs. Nice Guy Neon says, Dark Souls is totally an RPG. You build a character how you want over the course of the experience. You roleplay how you want both in the game world and online with real players. It lets you roleplay in ways that Bethesda and Bioware only wish they could pull off because (laughs) you aren't making a dialogue choice in the traditional sense. You're making an actual choice. Do I go help people by leaving a sign? Do I go work for this covenant? Do I invade players? Do I leave messages that will help others in their world or messages that will lead them to their doom? Is it is role playing at its core because all Im- it all immediately impacts you and those around you in real ways. People are talking about the amount of skill it takes to beat the game, but summon in players or NPCs to help you find out elements that bosses are weak to and use spells, resins, or upgrade weapons along the path to damage them even more. Don't kill non-aggressive bosses if you believe in leaving them alone because they are totally pathetic figures who don't need to be attacked. Follow character quests and decide what happens to them and the events surrounding them. There's a major focus on being who you want to be alone and with others, exploring an intricate world, and shaping the course of the events around you. I don't understand how Dark Souls is excluded, but Witcher 3, Mass Effect, Fallout New Vegas, Morrowind, and Diablo 2 aren't just because they feel more traditional. I mean, I think they're all RPGs, and I love all of them, but I don't think Dark Souls is any different than what they're offering other than being better than them by all, by, all, by a lot. Okay. Wow. wow. These, are, these are passionate Dark I think Souls. Nice Guy Neon really feels strongly about Dark Souls, don't you? I mean, I did say Dark Souls was my game of the generation uh during yeah. the xbox 360 ps3 like i think is the most influential and it's the best it's held up the it's, best it's i wonder if it's just so hard to classify as an rpg or not classify as an rpg because it's just really so much its own thing i mean okay so this is the argument i would make for dark souls being an rpg and i think nice guy neon actually touches on makes a lot of really salient points actually yeah absolutely uh, I, I mean just the fact that for example you can choose how you want to approach the game uh, based mm-hmm. on the definite def- different covenants that you take, right? I mean, you can be right. more PvP. You can be like more, much more, I'm going to help out people, that kind of thing. There is an element of role-playing. It's light role-playing, I would argue, but there is role-playing involved in there. Uh, it's fairly organic. I do like that. But you can also see that in some other RP- in, uh, some other action games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as for, I think that the main argument is that Dark Souls has these really deep dungeon-crawling roots that go back to the very dawn of the, the genre. Yeah. And so whenever I play it, I start thinking about things like wizardry and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. It's like a 
an action wizardry. <laughs> very, very much so. Yeah, that dark, dank Dungeons and Dragons kind of castles and everything. And everything's just kind of out to every monster is hostile. It's just it's a little grim. Yeah, it's you against the world. Getting it really is getting better, substantially better loot as you go along, upgrading yourself periodically. Um, I don't know. I, I'm super on the fence on Dark Souls. I mean, you could say, yes, it is definitely an RPG. I think it is closer than a lot of games. I just, I kept going back to the fact that the main thing about Dark Souls is that it is so skill-based. It mm-hmm. puts all of its, it puts everything into action. It's all about the action. Yes, the atmosphere and the story, and the fact that you can customize your character, and all of these other things all play into it, but they are subordinate to the action. Whereas I agree. the role-playing takes center stage in almost everything that you list except Diablo 2, which is a kind of... I mean, Diablo 2 is a classical dungeon crawler, like very loot-focused, classical mm-hmm. point-and-play-click art dungeon crawler, which doesn't put as much emphasis on action as it does on customization, right? So you're like, you yeah. list Witcher 3. Witcher 3 action definitely takes a backseat to all of the act- uh, decisions that you make and and how you influence the world. Same with Mass Effect. Mass Effect, the, the action is there, but it's all about the decisions you're making and the storytelling. Same with Fallout. Same with Morrowind, right? Dark Souls is about skill. It really is. And, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about earlier how uh, RPGs, when we were younger, were kind of a good option for people who maybe weren't so, weren't great with their reflexes. And I feel like to this day, um, there just aren't any games that I would consider an RPG that I would say, oh, I'm falling off this. I don't like this because it just, it wants me to to get good. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it it just, uh, to get good on a level that I'm not capable of. And I, there are many RPGs I've come across I didn't like for one reason or another, but uh, just not that reason. I just that's you're right. That's why I have a hard time thinking of uh, Dark Souls as an RPG. I'm not saying my opinion is 100% correct, but that's just where I'm coming from. Yeah, I mean, Dark Souls, you can do a lot of character customization for sure. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. much more so than Sekiro, which is a very pure action game. Yeah. Um, and in that respect, it's an edge case. But I just didn't want edge cases on this list. So. We had enough to cover, that's for sure. We sure did, didn't we? Dark Souls is an incredible game. I think it's one of the best games ever made. Um, Mm -hmm. We're in the process of putting together this list of the 50 essential games that everybody should play. I I think Dark Souls should be on it. I think everybody should play it. So so even though it's not in my top 25 RPGs list, does not mean that I do not love me some Dark Souls. I think I have a tremendous amount of respect for Dark Souls. But... And we will, and if they ever decide to make another Dark Souls, if Dark Souls Four happens, or there is another Bloodborne game or something, we will definitely be talking about this on this podcast because it's close enough. Gosh darn it! Exactly. Like it's not like we're like, oh, we can't talk about Dark Souls on this podcast. Not allowed. Nope. You know, no, no Banned. Club. We've just put it on. We just put it in the pile. No. Well, uh, and we will also talk about uh, Breath of the Wild too if it ever happens. I, I think uh, something similar to that will be happening. You think so? Just a, just a, I, I can see Nintendo doing something else with that engine. I just feel like we're going to see They did it. put a lot of effort into that, didn't they? They really did. I can't see them scrapping it all and starting I again. I hope they have more dungeons in it, though. Yeah, I would like that. Yeah. 
Axel Bloodgod is a US Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please follow us on social media. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Subscribe to our newsletter. And if you like the podcast, please go and review and rate us. We love hearing from you. And thank you for all the kind words on yes, the Axe of the Blood God 200th episode and the conclusion of the Top 25 RPG Countdown. Nadia and I are formulating the next steps for the podcast. Uh, this this episode was just a little bit of a chaser, given a, mm-hmm. an opportunity maybe to, you know, catch up with our audience, uh, talk about... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's, it, was a good, it was a good time to just, you know... Listen, talk to you and have you talk to us. Yeah, but uh, we got a lot. We got a lot to cover, even though there aren't too many RPGs coming out. We got a lot to discuss, so don't worry about that. We got plenty of material. But okay, until next time, we'll be back next week. But for Nadi myself, thanks for listening to us go through all of these marvelous mailbag. And by the way, keep the mailbag questions coming. Uh, mm. I enjoy reading them. I enjoy having being given ideas of topics to cover. Just, you can reach me on DM, send me a tweet, send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net, and I may uh, call you, make fun of the fact that your name is Dr. Pooh. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, Dr. Pooh, I don't mean to pick on you, but you are named Dr. Pooh. Okay. Yes. All right. Until then, next time, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>